Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Hello, and you are listening to part two of the Dr. Mark Pack chat, if you will. Remember, we are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Limehouse Pod, and you can always drop us an email. That's the Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com. Please enjoy the chat. Enjoy the interview. See you soon. My, one of my questions here is, um, y- yeah, you know, what was, um, why? I think people at the moment are sort of tending to think that, well, actually, you know, Brexit was um, a democratic mm. cry and and democracy rules. Mm. So why is it a bad thing? That You know, why is that a bad thing? I mean, you could say... Say, for example, if you're more uh, maybe a, a negative nu- neutral neutralist mm. or whatever you want to call it, and you could say, well, you know, Brexit um, and Trump, how, can, how dare you compare Brexit to Trump? You know, I had um, my democratic um, voice listened to, la la la, I happen to think that um, Brexit is great. I'm worried that we have a standpoint on the on the left or hell centre left yeah. or wherever. It's now that's us versus them, and we're completely ignoring the 52% people that actually feel that actually you know they've got a dem- democratic right to feel happy and mm. and this is a legitimate sort of yeah. thing that they asked for. Well, I, I I guess the thing about the 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 European referendum that we had is that. It was different from a general election in the sense that the decision has much longer term and more consequences that can be very hard to undo. Mm. With a general election, we have one every four or five years, typically, and therefore there is a sense that we always have a second vote on things and we always have a third vote and a fourth vote because MPs keep on, prime ministers keep on being up for election and re-election. Uh, but also that if if a government does something that mm. then the public decides it doesn't like and it votes in a new government next time, broadly speaking, that new government can take a different direction. The difficulty with Brexit is the, is the huge risk that an awful lot of it is a one-way, ir- not quite completely irreversible, but exceedingly hard to reverse process. And it's quite normal in many or, you know, organisations and contexts to say that that sort of irretrievable irretrievable or semi-irretrievable decision or one that changes the rules of the game for the future for example requires a two-thirds majority and it's very normal in organizations to say to change the constitution you need a two-thirds majority not just a simple majority and and so we've we we had a decision of that import that was absolutely voted through but voted through by a very small margin and that's why i'm quite comfortable with saying yes we should respect the outcome of the referendum in the sense that the government should definitely go ahead and negotiate the terms of of Brexit. But it is also perfectly reasonable to say there are so many 
parts to how we might leave Britain, uh, uh, Europe. Yeah. So many different questions, like do we end up in the single market or not? Do we end up cutting immigration or not? On which even the Brexit campaign camp were very divided. You got very different views on single market, immigration, etc., from different prominent Brexit campaigners yeah. to say, okay, well, once we've negotiated the details of the deal, let's have a vote on whether that's the deal we want to go with. And, and in a way, it's, it's almost slightly odd for Brexit campaigners to say, look, this is how the public voted, so this is therefore what we should do, but oh my goodness, it would be absolutely awful to let the public have a say ever again. It's almost like the Brexit campaigners don't really have that faith in public opinion that they profess, because if you do, you shouldn't be at all worried about having a vote on the terms of the Brexit deal. Do you have a specific... Like, how could how would you not phrase but go like spell out the legitimacy for a second referendum to a random stranger on the street? Partly, it's actually not talking about a second referendum because we should respect the fact that there was a referendum, therefore, terms of a Brexit deal, it's reasonable for the government to go ahead and negotiate. However, there is such a huge range of different possible Brexit deals Mm. from. Uh, one in which there is minimal change in terms of trade and immigration. So we end up with a huge amount of free trade still with the rest of the European Union. But we therefore also end up with European institutions being able to cast legal verdicts on whether the terms of trade are being met and probably not very much change in immigration through to at the other end, one where we are simply on WTO terms with the EU, huge amounts of bureaucracy and paperwork that are required to sell products to and from the EU. But on the other hand, the UK government can cut immigration massively, introduce all sorts of unilateral measures, etc. And there's a whole range in between. So people who voted Brexit are spread all over that range. And therefore, it's not that there is one particular picture of Brexit, which we can say, yep, the public have voted for. It's actually the majority of the public voted for a whole range of different possible options. So saying, okay, when we now then narrow down that range of options to the one that is the, the, the choice in the end, absolutely reasonable to say, look, you might have you know, been hoping for this, you might have been hoping for that. We know for sure now what it will be. Is this definitely what we want to go ahead and do? So that's part of the argument is... Brexit can come in so many forms, you sort of should be able to say, okay, now I know the form, am I happy with it or not? The other, which I think is easier, for such a major decision, it's it's perfectly reasonable to have a multi-part process. Now, mm. I think if someone were to say, well, shouldn't this have been maybe the argument that was, was had at greater extent before the first referendum happened at all, fair point. I think, I think you know, the way we went into that referendum was not a sensible way. But, for example, two-stage referendums are far from uncommon. Yeah. It's what uh, New Zealand actually has made actually rather a habit of. Uh, first, I, I think, if I remember right, for changing their electoral system to have a vote to choose between different possible new electoral systems and then to choose between the winner of that and the existing electoral system. So it's like, you know, you winnow down the range of options and then you decide whether to really make the switch or not. They also did it uh, more recently with a question about whether or not to change the New Zealand flag. So had a referendum on, you know, amongst all these different designs, let's pick, pick, pick the new design that we like the most and then let's compare how that exists with okay. the existing design. This would be exactly the same. Okay, we're now going to find out of all the different versions of Brexit there might be. It'll get negotiated. It'll get winnowed down to one form of yeah. uh, of Brexit, and therefore 
you have a final decision on, okay, now we know exactly what it is. Is that what we want to do? That sounds like common sense, though. Mm. And That's because it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I just don't feel like we're anywhere near like getting over the, the pride of all this. Because I think if you really strip away everyone's pride and emotion mm. from this Brexit, mm. the whole damn thing, and just said, look, what you've just mm. explained there, anyone can understand mm. that. A five-year-old could understand that. Um, once we strip away all that pride and all that emotion and just say to people, look, come on, this is this is Great yeah. Britain here. We, we are capable of doing, you know, um, rational mm. things. We need to be rational here moving forward. Do you think in the next two years, well, how long have we got? We've got about a year and a half, two years mm. before the whole yeah. thing falls off or whatever. Do you think in that time we're going to get to what you've just described there? Well, I... There's always a temptation when a decision is made that in some way you disagree with to to want to berate people who have taken the different view in that decision and to think, you know, to want to tell them that they're wrong or they're foolish or they didn't understand something, whatever. Um, and I think you should always pause for thought before doing that. Mm. Firstly, because it's much too easy to misjudge that and end up essentially taking a slightly snobbish view of, well, they disagree with me, so they must be stupid or not have understood. That's, yeah, that's what um, I meant earlier. And, yeah. and also, pragmatically, because if you do want to persuade someone to change their mind, mm -hmm. the most powerful thing, way of doing it is to present new information. It's not to say, oh, look, you were stupid, you were wrong, you should change your mind. It's to say, look, now, in this case, now that we know exactly what the terms of Brexit will be, this is a reason why you might want to decide that, yeah, it's, it's reasonable for us to have, have a final vote okay. on whether to go with that particular form of Brexit or not. And I think that's a really important point in general about persuading people in politics, is that presenting new information that gives a reason why people might end up picking a, an option that is one that you agree with is almost always more fruitful than trying to refight refight the past battles and as if what you want is somehow... Some, for someone to say yeah okay i was wrong that might be emotionally satisfying yeah and i can see why you know keen uh, remain campaigners might sort of feel actually that's what i really want i just wish they would admit they were wrong but that's not the way to win out no no i can i can, I can see that politically i can see that um for example uh, well not for example but the 48 the 48 percent mm. argument so mm. you know you have some some people um commenting that liberal democrats are only standing up for the 48 percent you know mm. is 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 that the kind of iraq war thing where we we were a protest vote mm. we built our course on that uh, charlie k charlie kennedy did, well i mean 48 percent um, for a party that got eight percent in the last general election is a pretty big pool to be uh, <laughs> to yeah. be fishing in do you think it's da do you think it's dangerous i, I haven't I, mm. I i personally have no mm. agenda here I'm, I'm i'm literally just coming from like the is because I know that mm. Labour have mm. been saying, you know, that we're trying to appeal, we're trying to appeal to everybody, unlike the Liberal Democrats. Um, do you think just appealing to the forty-eight is a dangerous technique? Or? Well, I think if you are a, an elected public official, it yeah. is certainly really important that you seek to represent all of the people in your ward, your constituency, your region, you know, wherever it is you've been elected for, uh, because that is your job. And whether somebody voted for you or didn't vote for you, you should put just as much effort into helping them if they come to you with a piece of casework, for example. Mm -hmm. However, for a political party trying to win in a democracy, you don't have to appeal to everyone. 
I mean, if a political party in a democracy comes out with 99% of the vote, that's because they fiddled the, 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 go, the, the go electoral goals. system in some yeah. way. Even in systems of proportional representation, let alone in a first-past-the-post system, you don't need to get anywhere near everyone voting for you. And so it is, I think, perfectly reasonable to say, well, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the level of support that we're pitching for that's going to be a success for us in the next election? And look for a pool of people that is, is big enough to support that. And, you know, I mean, the SNP, in a way, demonstrated this really clearly. A losing share of the vote in the Scottish referendum is actually a winning share of the vote in... You know, even uh, an election with with PR, let alone in a first past the post election. Yeah. I mean, it's almost absurdly lopsided the makeup of of MPs from Scotland at the moment. But that is based on you know a very you know, a high share of the vote for a first past the post contest, but something that is still a losing share of the vote in a referendum. So if the Liberal Democrats were to get forty eight percent in the next general election, that would mean a Lib Dem landslide with a massive majority an awful lot of really quite surprised Lib Dem candidates as MPs. Um, and it would still only be 48% in that mm. sense. I think there's no problem at all to say for first-past-the-post type elections or indeed the sorts of PR elections that we have with multi-parties, trying to go after one particular chunk of the electorate mm. is reasonable. There is, of course, a question about the style with which you do that because you don't want to go do it in a way that is so divisive that it causes problems in society so i think perfectly reasonable to say actually look there's a whole chunk of people out there with view with views that are different from ours and sorry we're not trying to appeal to your views that's okay what is foolish is to do it in a aggressive or antagonistic manner that causes social strain and so on but it's perfectly possible to appeal to the 48 percent without running into those problems yeah well wasn't that very informative that's uh, Dr. Mark Pack, the one and only. I'm, I'm glad you stopped in to, to, the, to the Limehouse to listen to this very brief, informative uh, part of the, of the show. It's, it's not something that I'm necessarily looking to do a lot, but there's so much information in these parts, that, these three parts, that I thought I'd break them down for you because... I, as much as I enjoyed them, I did find an awful lot of information to get my head around. So there are bits you can go back to. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on iTunes. You can leave us a review there, which obviously helps us massively um, to get us up out in, into the world. Uh, and uh, you, you can check us out on, on Facebook. You can check us out on Twitter. We're at Limehouse Pod. So yeah, until next time. Take care of yourself. Don't do anything stupid. Or, or if it is stupid, make sure it's, um, it's, it's legally thought out and it doesn't hurt anyone. And, uh, and it's funny um, because I think we need a lot of, 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 of fun and laughter at the moment, particularly because of you know what's going on in the world. Anywho, enjoy yourselves. I, I know I will. See you soon. Yep, okay. Yep, bye. Yep.